Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, you guys have heard the saying third time's a charm, right? How about the tenth time's a charm? I mean, if you wanted to start a business, would you quit trying after your third failure? How about your sixth disaster? No? Well, surely you'd quit after the ninth attempt, right? If it didn't work? Even if it did, but it wasn't really doing that well? Had my guest today quit after the tenth or ninth business he had started, he would have missed out on becoming Silicon Alley's first billionaire. In 2003, John Oranger picked up a Canon camera, a rebel, you guys have heard of that, and he began taking pictures of random images, point, shoot, anything and everything. His idea was to create a website focused on providing stock photographs that wouldn't cost subscribers an arm and a leg per image to use. He started Shutterstock in his little one-bedroom New York apartment, Today, Shutterstock has more than 300 million royalty-free stock photos for you to choose from and more than 10 million video clips and music for licensing. He's Silicon Alley's first billionaire, but he didn't know that it was going to work out that way. So what kept him going? I'm going to ask John Oranger right now. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Liz. Great to be here. 10 startups? (laughs) Are you a glutton for punishment? <laughs> it's, um, look, it, each failure you learn from, and it took a lot of learning to get to success. Uh, the interesting part of the whole story is that I didn't think Shutterstock was actually going to be the one that worked. Shutterstock was a side project. The other startups were software companies that I thought were going to be the ones that succeeded. But I needed images to promote those companies. So I started shooting those images myself. This was 2003. There weren't many uh, places you can get royalty-free stock photos easily. So when I shot them, I put them on a website called Shutterstock and let anyone download them for a $10 a month subscription. Wait, so this is the classic necessity is the mother of invention. You needed images for companies that you had started and just needed to get going. So you started Shutterstock and that became the one? That's incredible. We love to pick apart and deconstruct successful people, John, so that our listeners can really, you know, see what makes them tick. Sort of as the Timex commercial says, take a lickin' and keep on ticking. But take me back to, I don't know, five-year-old John growing up in Scarsdale, New York. What were you like? I was, uh, I was curious. I was, uh, the son of two teachers, I was uh, always tinkering, taking things apart, putting them back together. Um, and over time, I learned that I wanted to build stuff. So that's what I did. Mm, that's amazing. I mean, at that young age, you were already, what, taking apart transistor radios, electronics that were around the house, what? Yeah, everything I could get my hands on. Um, I don't think the VCR ever came back together. <laughs> And it's workable format, but, uh, you know, some things, 
some things were casualties uh, of my learning experiment. But uh, I was always trying to figure out how things worked uh, because I wanted to build the next thing. So I would deconstruct stuff to try to figure out how to build something else. I love the story about the VCR. That's hilarious. You know, I'm remembering Steve Jobs as a kid would pull stuff apart. A lot of guys that I've interviewed, mostly in Silicon Valley, of course, you're Silicon Alley, but they started like that as kids. They would go hunt in dumpsters to find old electronics that were discarded. Um, it's just kind of fascinating. Were your parents science teachers or where'd you get that, do you think? My uh, my father was a science teacher. Ah. Uh, my mom was uh, a special ed teacher. Uh, they both taught in Yonkers. Uh, and I was, I was just curious. And so uh, eventually I learned how to, how to program because uh, I started to realize that the, the hardware components I was taking apart had some pretty sophisticated software on them. And I could probably make them do different things if I learned how to program them differently. When did you get your first computer and what was it? Uh, I was an Apple IIc mm-hmm. and I was uh, in third grade. And you must have been in heaven. That's lucky. Third grade, that's early. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was rare. The, the school had um, an Apple IIe, and I would, I would play around with that one. Uh, there, there were only a couple around at that time. But yeah. How old were you when you started your first business? Because, you know, Warren Buffett, for example, started his first business at age six. He was selling little packets of sticks of gum, juicy fruit, um, and he'd make a nickel profit. How old were you and what was that first business? My first business was when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I was learning how to play guitar and uh, I started taking lessons and I realized, um, well, actually, I, maybe I wasn't right about this, but I, I, I thought maybe I, you know, if I was taking lessons, I could reverse uh, it and, and teach. Uh, so I just uh, put up... Um, posters around Scarsdale Town uh, offering up guitar lessons. And strangely, people took me up on it. Um, really? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that good of a guitar teacher. So I switched actually to uh, fixing computers, but use the same method. Posted uh, these things all over town, pull down strips on the bottom that I would cut and they'd have my phone number. Uh, they'd call our house. Uh, the phone was ringing off the hook because people didn't know how to fix their computers. So I charged like... 30 bucks an hour in high school and uh, would fix people's computers. That's a lot back then. I mean, you're in your forties. It wasn't a million years ago, but 30 bucks an hour. I mean, babysitting didn't pay that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it it worked out well. Um, I started to realize this was, this was what I, when I started to realize that people had these things that, um, Need, I mean, they needed to get uh, some training on how to use them. Uh, small businesses would contact me uh, that were in the town. Um, individuals would contact me, and they would, they would need some help. And I had been taking apart and putting together these things for so many years that by high school, I was able to, uh, to uh, charge by the hour to teach people how to do it. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, my dad had a love of computers, but he really couldn't understand it. So there would always be these teenagers, these kids, these mini John Orangers. But so mini John grows up to go to Columbia and tell us about some of those nine startups. Whip through a couple of them that you, you began and maybe abandoned and thought, I'll try this later. 
Yeah, so it was around uh, 1996 or so, 1995. The internet was just becoming something that um, it was a lot of dial-up internet, but it was becoming something that that everyone was using. Uh, a lot of people were using. Um, it was becoming something that uh, was a necessity in people's lives. Um, the browser was fascinating to me, uh, and and I, I was just always trying to solve other other people's problems, solve my own problems, um, and thought those would be good businesses. So uh, security and privacy started to become something that people were really interested in. So I built a suite of security and uh, privacy software tools called Surf Secret back in uh, back in the late nineties. Nice, nice uh, title. I like that name. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Um, you know, I mean, cookies and privacy and and uh, uh, spam. These were all things that were issues back then, also. But they were a little different, right? Um, pop-ups were annoying. Browsers would pop up, uh, kind of windows with ads. Uh, uh, and start tra- that was kind of the beginning of cookies tracking where you where you go on the internet. So I built a software application that kind of looks out for bad actors and blocks those tracking mechanisms, closes windows that you didn't open. Um, and I charged a $30 a year subscription for this thing. Um, it worked out pretty well for a couple of years. Uh, I made uh, enough money to live and kind of rent my rent an apartment and uh, pay for myself through school, uh, for instance. Um, but in the late 90s, uh, close to 2000, Microsoft actually wound up putting me right out of business when they built all of these features into Internet Explorer. Uh, so that was my first uh, experience with being disrupted. And yet you didn't just throw up your hands and say, forget it, I'm going to go get a nine-to-five job. You continued starting a bunch of companies. But let's fast forward to launching Shutterstock out of this one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. Where were you? Yeah, I was living in uh, Gramercy uh-huh. on 21st Street. And uh, yeah, it was a small apartment. And I, I started, um, what started to happen was the, the images for, for the, the pop-up blocker and for, for everything else I was promoting going on to Shutterstock. Um, Shutterstock started to get a lot of uh, uh, customers that I started to recognize. There were corporations, there were agencies, there were small businesses, big businesses. And I started to realize that was the thing I should focus on. And so I shifted my resources to Shutterstock. Um, I realized I can't be the only one shooting photos, so I started to invite other photographers onto the platform, created a marketplace model, started to build um, uh, a subscription. Uh, I liked subscriptions. I thought that, thought that was the best model to, to sell. Well, yeah. To this day, that's the great model. I mean, that's partly why a Peloton is doing as well as it is, subscription yeah. models. Yeah. So you got the subscription model, you know that that works, you start shooting pictures. You just walked outside and started taking images? Yeah, yeah, everything I could find. I started to hire um, models and have them uh, in commercial situations. So someone holding a credit card, typing into their computer. Um, A lot of e-commerce based images I needed for Surf Secret, um, and they started to go on Shutterstock. And um, I started to learn also what images perform, which images don't perform. Uh, And that kind of information was useful to other businesses also, um, I started to realize over time. At what point did you see the shift and think, wait a minute, I'm killing myself on Surf Secret, but Shutterstock is really (laughs) taking off. It was 
it was around 2004 or so. So over this entire time, um, I was, I was kind of, I was multitasking building all of these companies and I kept hiring people for Shutterstock because it kept becoming a bigger and bigger business. Um, eventually I closed down Surf Secret because it became a smaller and smaller business. I want to back up just for a second. The day that Shutterstock went live, what was it like when you got your first hit, the first customer joined? Oh, it was, a, it was great. I mean, I, it was a total rush. I, I had a, I had a cha-ching sound that would play on my computer. Um, and it was, it was motivation for me to keep selling these subscriptions. Um, and I started to, uh, I mean, from then it was, it was, it was, it was an addiction. I needed to continue to build this thing, uh, into a bigger and bigger company. And it was fun. Uh, I was serving customers. They were getting something they needed. I was paying photographers. I got paid in a way that they never got paid before. Right. Um, they were all around the world. Uh, it was, a. It, it was, it was the rush I was looking for. It was well, the, like Pavlov's dogs. You'd hear that ka-ching, you think, i got to get another one. The, I was helping customers, right? And so it was, a, it, it, was, it was about helping, solving the problem that I ran into myself. When I started to realize I was doing that, it became uh, a multidimensional kind of uh, problem I was solving, which was a lot of fun. What was the most popular picture that you had shot that people were uploading, downloading, whatever the term is, most often in the beginning. I still have my photos up there, embarrassingly enough. Uh, they're not, they're, I don't know why people keep buying them. They're not that great. They're much better photographers on the Shutterstock platform than, than me. But um, they were all e-commerce based, right? So they were, they were people buying things or people um, checking out. There were people um, involved in, in commerce on the web. Those were, those were the photos that became the most popular. You wore all the hats in the early days, customer service, web designer, programmer, marketer, receptionist. I mean, when did you realize, you know what, this is getting crazy. We need to expand. We need to have a place. We need to hire beyond what you had. Yeah, it was, I was always um, doing, all, wearing, wearing hats, doing all the jobs. Um, but as, as I would get kind of stretched to the point where it was, it was, it was stopping me from building the business, I would then hire. So I would learn as much as I can. I would try to get uh, as much out of uh, my own work as possible. And then I would move that on to somebody else. Uh, and and that, that was a pretty uh, important part of the beginning of the company. Well, sure. I mean, knowing how to do all of the different jobs uh, means so, so much, I think. You know, people scoff at starting in the mailroom. But at CAA, the big agency back in the day, if you got a job in the mailroom, that was a big deal because from there, you worked your way up and you knew all of those echelons, those, those layers and levels, and it gave you an advantage. I mean, you know, my first job as a production assistant at Channel 2 in Los Angeles, they, they told me, you know, deliver the newspapers at 4 a.m. And then it was run teleprompter. To this day... Now when I see something's wrong with prompter, people can't pull the wool over my eyes and give me some excuse as to why something didn't come up. I know because I did that job. I mean, isn't there some value into all of that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really powerful. I think back to those discussions with customers, even to this day, um, and it, it helps me 
navigate the business even at its size today. Um, you know, being the first photographer, being the first customer service rep, um, talking to those early customers helped craft that product. That subscription uh, photo marketplace product wouldn't exist if I didn't have those conversations. And today, the the, the product is still it's stronger than ever. Um, and and I still think back to those those interactions. I want you speaking of thinking back to tell me, did, were there ever moments where you felt like throwing in the towel as you built Shutterstock? Yeah, there were. I mean, it was hard, right? Um, there were buyout offers that I felt like um, I would be selling too short uh, in the beginning. Um, there were uh, there were moments where you know we were creating an entirely new business model. We had to educate people on how the licensing agreements worked. We had to get uh, photographers to sign up to sell their photos by subscription. There was a lot of resistance in the beginning for that, from that. Um, mm -hmm. They were used to selling images one by one. Um, these were all really difficult problems to, to solve and overcome and change huge populations of the marketplace, right? Um, but we did it. Uh, and with hard work, you, you, you can build something really big. So we continued. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Did competitors try and kill you? You know, I, I think about every time a disruptive business comes into play, Airbnb, the hotel industry got desperate. They saw Airbnb as stepping on their air hose and they were going to fight like hell no matter what it took to kill Airbnb. They did not because great ideas just tend to flourish. I mean, Getty Images was already out there. There are all these other companies. Did they, did they try and squish you? You know? Yeah, yeah of course they did. Um, yeah, when I started Getty, Getty was a, a, a formidable uh uh, leader in the space, and today we're getting close to being uh, the same size as, as they are. Uh, took uh, took 15 years, but uh, now, in some ways, I mean, we sell more images than than, than our competitors do uh, every year. Uh, so, you know, selling many images per second is a really powerful thing. Yeah, stock does that. 
Shutterstock went public in 2012. Uh, a friend of this podcast, Steph Patter, now the co-founder of the dot-com era, darling, the globe.com. He was one of my first guests on this podcast. His memory of the T-Glow IPO, he said, was feeling like he was going to throw up. He was so incredibly nervous. Reach back to the day that Shutterstock IPO. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was exciting and it was an intimidating uh, experience as well. Uh, we rang the bell of the New York Stock Exchange. I watched the stock open for the first time uh, that morning. Uh, it was really exciting. The entire population, the entire Shutterstock uh, employee base was outside uh, the, and inside the, the New York Stock Exchange. Um, it was really exciting. Nice. Uh, but at the same time, we realized uh, we had a lot to do. Um, yeah. Every company goes through this. When they go public, they have to uh, mature very fast. And we did as well. Well, this was your baby. I mean, I would feel a little conflicted going from the control that a founder has at a private company versus looking into the jaws of Wall Street, you know, quarterly earnings, investor relations, regulators breathing down your neck constantly. Um, Were you a little conflicted over that? Yeah, I mean, I look. I you know there there are pros to cons to any kind of big uh, change to the company, Um, but I thought there were more pros than cons. Like we were we were building out the enterprise business at that time, and today it's a huge part of Shutterstock. I think you know that you know putting ourselves on the map, um, showing uh, how strong our balance sheet was, um, being accountable to shareholders, and then going out and trying to get the biggest agencies and corporations to be customers of Shutterstock, it made that part easier. On the other side, uh, we also had to um, uh, kind of beef up our uh, our financial arm of the business, and that comes with, with going public. Talk about the moment that you realized you were now a member of the Three Comma Club, the, the billionaires club, so to speak. You became Silicon Alley's first tech billionaire. What was that moment like? I mean, to me, to me, this, that, that got a lot of press, but to me, that was, that was, that was a less significant part of what we had built. We had um, millions of customers. We had millions of, of contributors to the platform. We had, um, I, I could see a future day where we paid out a billion dollars for our contributors. Those were important, and that happened actually a couple of years ago. Th- those were those were really important uh, milestones for me. Mm. Um, being a billionaire on paper, yeah, that's that's exciting. But look, it's on paper. I mean, it's stock, right? It goes up and down, uh, and it has gone up and down. Um, and so, yeah, it, that's important. But I also see creating a lot more value in the future than I've created up until today. So this is what I like to do. So I'm out there uh, still, even to this day, working, uh, creating new companies and trying to build uh, value. And hopefully that is uh, just the start. Yeah. You know, well, today the site has 300 million images. 
you had, what, 200,000 images a day? I mean, critics bemoan the proliferation of camera phones and how classic, thoughtful photography, you know, the famed Henri Cartier-Bresson or Robert Capa, Diane Arbus, Irving Penn, Robert Maplethorpe, that it's a lost art of, of spending hours in a dark room developing the pictures that matter. How do you view the evolution of camera phones and the digitization of photography? I think, I think the democratization of photography is an amazing thing. It's, okay. it's made it, I mean, it used to be that you would need to book time in a dark room. You would need to buy expensive and dangerous chemicals. You would need to print on paper that was expensive and often um, you'd have to throw away and keep, keep trying over and over again to get it right. Um, today, it's built into everybody's device in their pocket uh, and there's more pixels in these little lenses and cameras uh, than existed on the black and white 35 millimeter film uh, that the, 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 the classic artists you just mentioned were using. I think, I think it's amazing that there's so little friction uh, between someone uh, 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 thinking about that as a hobby and actually doing it today. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be that you would have to go through so many different steps in order to produce uh, this quality of art. And today, anybody can do it. It's created a lot more imagery. It's created a lot more photographers. Um, there are people that wish that they can go back in time, but um, it, it's impossible. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we can only move forward uh, and today, I think the photography art form is much different than it was in, you know, in, in, in the time that the artist you just mentioned uh, produced uh, art, um, but it's still art. I mean, you can still produce amazing stuff with these cameras. Um, and um, it, it's thrilling to me. I think it's amazing that anybody can do it today. You recently stepped down as CEO of Shutterstock after all these years, 16 years. Tell me what your passion is now, because I hear you're moving to Miami, that you've bought a mansion there, and you can't get that entrepreneurial spirit out of your blood, right? So what are you doing in melding the two? Yeah, we moved to Miami a month ago, and I stepped down as CEO into uh, executive chairman of Shutterstock. So I spend half my time on Shutterstock now. I spend the other half of my time building uh, businesses. So making several investments uh, with, with some business partners of mine and also uh, thinking about what uh, companies we could start. Uh, I don't plan on being CEO again, but I will be executive chairman uh, if uh, anybody wants to be CEO and, and it makes sense and I'm willing to fund them at that, that, uh, on that idea um, which, uh, which we've done a few times now. So we have a few startups. They're kind of in stealth mode, but I think they're, they, they can be amazing companies. Uh, they're people I've met over the years that I think could be amazing entrepreneurs. And I'm doing it uh, down here in Miami. Lately, we've covered a lot of young instant tech billionaires. Thomas Healy, the founder of electric truck powertrain company, uh, Hylion, Austin Russell. That kid quit Stanford 
as a freshman to take the Peter Thiel money, right, and start his own company. He started the autonomous vehicle LIDAR maker Luminar. He became, on the day that company went public last week, the world's youngest self-made billionaire. You have the benefit of experience and hindsight. What would you love to tell these new kids on the block that you wish somebody had shared with your younger self? <laughs> um, I would, so the first one is hard, um, but I would be careful not to be overconfident on the next ones. Um, if you did that, if you created that, you're probably going to want to continue. Um, look, there's some luck to this and there's some skill to this and there's a lot of hard work to this. So anyone who's done this is going to want to do it again. And it's hard, uh, but you, know, you, you have to keep that, keep, keep the instinct and also keep the ability to fail. Like the, you, know, you failed before, you're going to fail again. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, even today, I, you know, we pivot on ideas all the time in this incubator that, that I'm building. Um, I, 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 think, I think that's the heart of it. Uh, you're going to want to keep going, but you're going to have to stay humble. Humble, absolutely. I think about the most life-changing startups in the last, let's say, 10 years. And I'd love to know yours. When I think about what's truly changed my life on a relatively daily basis, it's Waze. Waze has changed my life. I mean, I'm an LA girl who pull over on the side of the 405 to open the Thompson, the Thomas Guide which had, you know, 2,000 pages of, of L.A. streets because L.A. County was so huge. To never have to do that again is quite unbelievable. Is there one in particular, aside from Shutterstock, which changed your life certainly, that has, has really changed your world in a way that you think deserves major props? Uh, one of the, so a business out there that has changed mm -hmm. the way I think about things. Oh, wow, this is a hard one. Um, there's so many uh, that I clearly use every day all around me. I mean, I mean, the iPad is 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 an, is an incredible thing. Um, Uber. I, I can tell you one area that uh, I look at, and I think, especially in the environment we're in right now with COVID, I think is going to change, and it's telemedicine. Yes. Yes. And actually, the that entire area. Um, is I mean people are it's pretty it's pretty remar remarkable I think I think people are going to expect not to have to always go physically to the doctor again I mean in some situations like when it comes to dermatology or mental health um, these are areas that are going to be changed forever given the uh, the pandemic working from home has changed forever in the past you know people who asked if they could work at home two out of the five days a week were looked down upon they were put on the slow track now managers see how much harder we work at home it's it's unbelievable the change in vision and the prism through which people look has really been altered by as you say telemedicine work from home live from home stay healthy from home okay one last question here as we wrap up john Lately, you've been shooting a lot of pictures of the Miami skyline, which is lovely, fabulous. I just went to the Super Bowl in February there, and Miami's just awesome. But there's no skyline like New York City. What do you miss? What image in your mind do you miss most about Manhattan? 
Oh, Manhattan. I mean, look, New York, New York's great and there's nothing like it. Uh, and, and I look forward to, uh, visiting again. Uh, but I think just, just, I was there for 25, 30 years. We were looking for a change. I think, um, I mean, the energy in New York city is, uh, you, you cannot find that anywhere else. Uh, and I look forward to going back, visiting, uh, experiencing it. Um, but at the same time, we personally were just looking for a different uh, lifestyle at this moment. And just because that energy isn't around you doesn't mean we're not working hard down here. Um, I'm working harder than I ever did. And, and, uh, and, and I think, you know, entrepreneurs are, are going to do that no matter where they are. Uh, just, just because you uh, uh, started a company... It uh, doesn't mean you're going to stop, and then, and and if you've if you, if you've moved, um, you're probably going to continue to do that. Um, I think COVID has 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 shown us that uh, you know it's good to have different perspectives, uh, and and also you know thinking uh, about kind of life in a different way, taking a reset uh, about how you kind of live your everyday life uh, is a completely valid and exciting thing to do. I'm going to call you the startup junkie. You are just addicted. I find it fascinating, fabulous, and I want people to hear this story to know that there were two, four, six, eight, nine attempts before this major one, and it almost came in a side window where you wouldn't expect it, and we're so glad you did. Shutterstock is an amazing website. I was looking at the Hanukkah pictures, and they're gorgeous. I'm like, wait, how come my menorah doesn't look like that when I shoot it with my iPhone? Uh, good luck to you, John, and your new ventures in Miami. Thank you so Thanks, much for joining us. Thanks for having me. John Oranger, founder of Shutterstock. And uh, you know what's a great view every day? 3 p.m. Eastern. Just turn on your TV and go on Fox Business because it's the claiming countdown. You guys are always welcome to come watch your money. We try and help you grow it, preserve it, save it, and so much more. So we'll see you on TV. And in the meantime, we'll hear you next time right here on Everyone Talks to Liz. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.